Thank you, uh, worship team. At this time, the children can be dismissed. Go to their, their class at this time. Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 92. Psalm 92. I want to apologize that the screen up here is not working. We just made aware of that right before the service, so we're not sure why, but hopefully we'll get that taken care of by next week. Um, but we'll do our best on that. Psalm 92. Psalm 92. We're going to continue our series on the Psalms, and uh, this has been a blessing to me. Psalms has been kind of a heartbeat of mine for the entire year. I've been going through it uh, in great detail, and I've I've loved uh, every minute of it. And so, going through this has been has been marvelous. Um, And I thought. As we go into this Thanksgiving time, I would look at a psalm that talks about thanks. Uh, We all have things to be thankful for, don't we? Uh, If you can't think of anything else that you're thankful for, think of just that last song that the worship team just sang. I love the chorus of that song, that once I was God's enemy, but now I'm seated at his table. I mean, that is just a marvelous thing to thank God for. Psalm 92, I'm going to read it. Uh, At this time, you can follow along as I read. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp and to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work, and at the works of your hand I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and the evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish, all evildoers shall be scattered. But you have been exalted, have, have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have been the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like the cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are never full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for this psalm. Lord, I just pray to help us to learn and grow through it. I pray that this morning we will just develop an attitude of thankfulness uh, more than maybe we already have. Just encourage us in that today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. A parent told about his four-year-old, and he was proud of his four-year-old because oftentimes at mealtime he would... Um, he would ask if he could pray uh, for the dinner. And usually he would pray a similar prayer every single time. It would be something like this. Thank you, God, for this gracious food. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One night, however, um, he asked his parents to pray, and his prayer went a little longer. His prayer, in his prayer, he thanked God for birds and animals and trees and uh, he thanked God for every single one of his friends by name. He thanked God for everyone in his family by name. Uh, he thanked God that God watched over them and uh, was good to them. And, and his parents were just thrilled. 
I mean, they thought for the first time, actually, this, this kid is actually praying from the heart. And he finishes and he says, Amen. He reaches down and he takes a spoonful of the stew that, that they had for dinner. And he drops his spoon and he, he gasps. Ah, I guess I didn't pray long enough. The stew is still too hot. Now, I don't know if he was actually thankful. He probably uh, was. But um, I think sometimes our prayers are that silly, aren't they? Um, we, we pray, but it's not really from our hearts. Uh, how many of you are ready this week to take time to thank God? How many of you have been, been thinking about that? What has God done for you? I wonder, though, if many times we give thanks with our lips, but our hearts remain um, apathetic and ungrateful. We will, we will spend Thursday, and many of you will gather around a table, and your number may be small or your number may be great. Uh, for us as a family, it will be the four of us, and we're looking forward to that. Maybe for some of you, there will be more. I know some of you have large families, and there might be 20 of you around the table or 30. I don't know, or multiple tables probably. But as you gather around and as you eat too much, and you go into this comatose, and then you sit and watch football and, and uh, for hours upon hours, or just talk, or watch a parade, or, or whatever you do. is Maybe you take just a few moments at the beginning of your meal to ask what you're thankful for. Maybe you take longer. But whatever it is, have you stopped to really consider how good God has been to you? And it's not something that should just happen this week. It's something that should be ongoing. I think it's very fitting on this Sunday before Thanksgiving that we were able to read the words of this psalm, which is called the Psalm of the Sabbath. This psalm tells us that Thanksgiving is not just a prayer as we wait for God to do something, or, or as this young child did, it's not just a prayer that we say to wait till the food cools down. That Thanksgiving is, is an overflow of the heart. In fact, this psalm tells us that it's a good thing to give thanks to God. I'm going to talk about in just the next few moments, what, uh, what, what does this psalm talk about in the area of Thanksgiving? And there's two areas we're going to look at. First of all, what is required, and then what is the exaltation that we give of God. So first of all, Thanksgiving requires our praise to God. In verses 1 through 3, it talks about that. But specifically, I want you to notice in your Bible uh, the title. Oftentimes in Psalms, there will be these titles. And in those titles, many times it will identify the author. This one doesn't. But it provides a very interesting comment, comment about this psalm. It says, a psalm, the song for the Sabbath. As I said, this is a Sabbath day psalm. As such, it was... It was, uh, it was important. It was something that on the Sabbath the Israelites would have gone through. Um, now, it's interesting because in all of the Psalms, 150, this is the only Sabbath day song. And so I think there's an emphasis here, not just on praising God, which we should, but there's an emphasis here on worship and, and praise and thanksgiving as a church, as a corporate body. And specifically, this was to the nation of Israel, but I think... There, the, the principle applies to us as well, that when we come together to worship, there should be thanksgiving. Now, the first three verses confirm this by emphasizing the necessity of praise. 
And I'll look at two aspects of that. First of all, the blessedness of praise. And once you look at verse 1, it says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord. It is good. Um, I don't think that we probably fully grasp the fact that praising God is a delight. Now, when I say the word good, what do you think? Good's kind of one of those, like, generic words. Um, it could mean a number of different things, depending maybe even how you say it. You know, if you if you sit down at a meal and you're like, that was a good meal. Or it could be someone asked you how it was. Yeah, it's good. Okay? Depends on how you say it. But So it's kind of a generic word, and so I think we need to understand that. Uh, what this word means. Now, usually when we think of the word good, we think of something that was uh, is beneficial to us. So let me give you an example of that. How many of you remember your mom saying something like this? Eat this, it's good for you. I remember your mom saying that. How many of you, your mom still says that? Okay. Eat this, it's good for you. Now, asparagus or Brussels sprouts might be good for me, but I get no pleasure out of them. Okay. So when we talk about it being good, this word here is not just it's beneficial. It's not just it's a beneficial thing for you to give praises to God. No, this is going beyond that because it's using the idea of it's, it's pleasurable. It's something that brings pleasure. It's something that's enjoyable. And so when we talk about that, it's good. Like it's, a, it's an exciting thing. It's a happy thing. It's a joyous thing to give praise to God. We know asparagus might be good physically. But no one, well, I shouldn't say that. There's some of you that probably really like asparagus. I know my wife does. So, um, but most of you would not say, hmm, I love asparagus and everything about it. No, but it's beneficial. But we're talking about the idea that it is good. It's a joyous thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's an exciting thing. And the psalmist here means for us to understand that thanksgiving, praise to God, is good in that it brings pleasure from God. Yet there's another sense of this word good that I think we need to understand because the other sense of this word good is that it's appropriate. In other words, it's, it's, it's appropriate, it's morally good, it's, it's proper to respond to God with praise. It's a proper thing. It is good. It's, 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 adic- it's, it's important to do that. Now, we see this idea in, in Psalm 147. Actually, we see both of these ideas in Psalm 147. Notice what it says there. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises our God. It's the same idea that we see in this passage we're looking at. But then notice what he said. He uses both of these. For it is pleasant. Okay, that's what he said. It's a pleasant thing. And then, and it's a song of praise is fitting. Both of those. It's appropriate, and yet at the same time, it's, it's enjoyable. And so the blessedness of praise is that we get something out of it. That as we praise God, there's, there's good, uh, and, and it's good for us. It's pleasurable. Why don't you notice the second aspect of this praise is that the expressions of praise. There are several expressions used in these first three verses describing praise and worship which are encouraged. I want to look at those. The first one is to give thanks. Now, uh, we understand what that means, but uh, it's interesting in the Hebrew language, there is no exact equivalent to our word thanks. Um, And so when we speak in terms of giving thanks, we're talking more than just simply thanksgiving, okay, that we think of. We're talking adoration, okay? It's more than just you know, at the end of a meal, you look at your, your, your spouse or your mom and you say, thank you. 
It's more than that. This, this idea of this giving thanks is, is, is an acknowledgement of who God is uh, in, in all of His glory and what He has done. It would be more like you look at your spouse or you look at your mom and say, Mom, you are the greatest person in the entire world. You have made all these things and I can't even imagine how you did that. It's a greater exaltation than just simply a thanks is what he's talking about in this passage. And so he tells us to give thanks, but secondly, he get, tells us how to do it. He says, sing praises. Uh, I'm not going to take the time to go through it in great detail, but he specifically uses the name Almost High. Now, he uses this idea throughout this psalm of, of God who is exalted, God who is above all things. But uh, he, he says here, how, how are we to do it? He says, through singing praises. Now, it's, uh, it's interesting that this singing praises uh, is the same word, the verb form of the word, if, if you look in the title, it says a psalm. That word psalm is the, in, in verb form is sing praises. And so you could say it this way. You could say that he's telling us to psalm. <laughs> that's not a verb. But if you use it in a verb form, that would it be. And so the worship of God is expressed by praising him. It's... It's what Paul said in, in Colossians. He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. And then what does he say? Singing psalms, spiritual psalms with thanksgiving. In other words, it should be an uh, uh, outpouring of thanksgiving should cause you to sing. Singing should be something that you do because you love God. You know, um, Pastor Nate and I have talked about this. Sometimes he stands up here and says, you know, every once in a while I look out and there's people not singing. Now, there might be a reason for that. Maybe you can't see the words. Maybe you don't know the words. Maybe you don't know the song. Um, maybe your, you know, your throat hurts. Um, and so you can't, um, you can't express it. But you put all, a lot of those aside, you should be singing praises to God. You should be. You should be joining in, in corporate worship praising God. Because that is, that is something God requires. But then he further adds to this subject of musical praise down in verse 3. He says, how do we do it? Uh, he's going to talk in verse 2 about the next one we're going to get into. But in verse 3, how do, we, how do we do this? He says, to the music of the lute and the harp and to the melody of the lyre. He expands on this singing praises because singing is surely one form. But uh, we're taught here that singing is enhanced by musical accompaniment. You see that there? Um, sometimes we, we uh, think that, well, maybe it's just noise. No, it's, it's enhanced. It's, it talks about the lute there. This was a ten-string ten instrument that they would use. Um, and uh, then it talks about the harp. You understand what the harp is. The lyre is another stringed instrument. Uh, and those three are singled out. Uh, now, I believe that this psalmist, we don't know who he is, but I believe this psalmist was probably a musician, and so he understood the music, and he was reminding us that our singing is often enhanced when it is accompanied by musical instruments. And I think as we look at Scripture, especially in Psalms, over and over again, we see the idea that it's enhanced not just by one or two, but by the multitude of musical instruments. And that's why I love having the worship team up here, because I think it does add and bring glory to God. And and here, the psalmist is talking about that. Throughout the Bible, the music of praise is often uh, magnified by musical instruments. Music is a significant part of our worship experience. Because it's how we express to God our gratitude and our adoration. 
Um, that's why it's important that we have uh, musical instruments to add to what we are doing. Um, and so we are to sing praises. We are to do that out of a, a desire to glorify God. But then thirdly, another expression of our praise is declaring God's love. Look at verse 2. To sing praises in the end of verse 1. Verse 2. To declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Um, it's, it's impossible for any one definition to encompass the full sense of this word. Okay. This word declare often means to make known. But even in that making known, there's a number of different ways it could be, it could be seen. It's usually the sense of revealing something, bringing something to the surface. Uh, Let me give you an example in Scripture. In in Genesis chapter 12, this is an opportunity where where Abraham travels down to Egypt. And when he is in Egypt, they're taken into the house and they're brought into the house of Pharaoh. And while they're in the house of Pharaoh, Pharaoh looks at Abraham's wife and she's beautiful. and, And so Abraham is afraid that he will kill Abraham, that Pharaoh will kill Abraham in order to, to take his wife as his own. And so Abraham uh, schemes with his wife to, to lie. Um, and so when Pharaoh finds out about this, Pharaoh says something interesting. He says to him, why did you not declare to me that she was your wife? What is meant by this? He's saying this. He's saying, why didn't you expose the truth to me? Why did you conceal the truth from me? And that's that's one sense of this word declare. It's the idea of, uh, of revealing it. It's the idea of opening it up. But uh, there's even a broader sense where it's the idea of making something that is, uh, that is private public. And it's, it's announcing it in a way that, um, sh- uh, that everyone around knows. There's an unpleasant example of this in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 9, uh, the, Noah and his family have come out of the ark and uh, and, and God has uh, saved them from the flood. And uh, as they come out of the ark, Noah does something that he should not have done, but Noah uh, gets, becomes drunk. In the process of being drunk, he's in his tent naked. And one of his sons, uh, Ham, comes in and he sees him, and he goes out and he tells his brothers. He published what should have remained secret. He declared it. He exposed it. Uh, that is the idea. What should have been left private was exposed. And even though that, in the sense, is an evil thing, what we're talking about here in this sense is, is something where it's, we're announcing to everyone around us, we're declaring to the world, we're making known to the world something. What is it that we're to make known to the world? God's steadfast love and faithfulness. Um, let, let me try to illustrate this uh, one other way. Um, it would be fitting for a husband to tell his wife that he loves her. Okay? Guys, if you don't realize this, your wives would appreciate that. Okay? Once in a while, tell your wife. If, you need to, if it's been a long time and she's sitting next to you, turn to her right now and tell her, I love you. Okay? Try that. Do it. Go for it. It's a, it's a good thing. Yet, it's more noteworthy when a husband praises his wife before others. Look what it says in Proverbs. This is describing uh, what uh, we often call the virtuous woman or 
the ideal wife, if you want to put it that way. But it says this, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. And how does he praise her? He says, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. It's one thing for me to say to my wife, I, I, you know, honey, I love you. Which, by the way, today's my wife's birthday. So uh, uh, say to my wife, I love you. Now you can give her a hand. But to publicly say it, that I love her, okay, that, as Scripture says, is, is fantastic. That is the idea of declaring our love for God. God, I praise you. And I want every single person to know it. I want it to be something that I shout from the rooftops. I want it to be something that people all around know. And, and this is the idea of declaring God's steadfast love. See, in this passage, there are these three manifestations or expressions of worship. And I, I don't think that the psalmist is implying that these are the only forms of worship. But here, remember, this is the song of the Sabbath. And so he's saying that on the Sabbath, this is what they were to do. They were to, they were to give thanks. They were to sing praises. They were to declare the, the, the love and faithfulness of God. This is how this was used on the Sabbath and, uh, in their worship. And I believe this is a way that we should use it in our worship, but I think it should carry through in throughout life. Praising God, psalming to God, and proclaiming God are all part of worship. The second aspect I want to look at then is thanksgiving exalts the work of God. In the first uh, line of verse 4, the psalmist tells us his motivation then, why he is is, um, giving thanks, why he is singing praises, and why he is declaring. Look at the verse part of verse 4. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. The praise of the psalmist is an overflow of joy and gladness that God has given him. Praise is not a a drudgery that we do because we have to. It's a delight because there's so much bottled up joy that we want to release it. It's something that we should look forward to doing. But I want you to also notice, not only does he give us the motivation, but I think he also gives us the basis. Look at verse 4 again. For you've made me glad, but why is why is he made glad? What's the basis for that gladness by your work? At the work of your hands, because of what you do, I sing praises. See, praise is based not on feeling. Praise is based on history. Um, I heard someone say this once. They said, Worship is not to be hysterical, it's to be historical. Worship is not something that it's like, you know, a lot of times many people when they come to worship, they do it with loads of empty emotion. They do it with this empty emotion that that they work up uh, this mere existential existential or emotional activity that there's this giddiness involved and and, and it's all emotion, uh, but it doesn't relate, relate to reality. Worship, of which this psalmist is speaking, is a historical thing. And what do I mean by that? I mean it's based on what God has done. The reason that you praise God is not because you emotionally feel that way. It's because you look back and you see, God has blessed me, God has blessed me, God has blessed me, 
over and over you see the blessings of God. And over and over you're reminded of how much God has done. And so it then burst out. Now, verses 5 through 15 then expand on verse 4. And it tells us the works of God that we should exalt and why we should praise God. And so let's look at those in the next few moments. First of all, God is exalted in the destruction of the wicked. Look at verse 5. He says, How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. Verse 6, The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass, and all the evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. Now, in our sentimental, everyone's a winner age, we become squeamish when we talk about the idea of judgment. We become bothered with the idea when we talk about that, that those who reject God will one day face hideous judgment. That bothers us. But it's something through which that we should exalt God because of it. I'll explain what I mean by that. A judgment will come one day, and that judgment that comes will be just. That means it will be right. It will be deserved. That judgment will come one day, and that judgment will come on those who have rejected the name of God, rejected the holiness of God, and so because of that, that judgment will vindicate God. And therefore, even more so, exalt who He is. You know, the wicked in our world, and we talked about this, uh, I think it was a couple months ago in one of the other psalms we looked at, uh, the wicked of this world uh, will, it seems as if they're flourishing for a time, and this talks about that, and we'll get into that, uh, and, but in the end there will be punishment. Now look at verse 6 for a moment. There, uh, you look at verse 6 and it says, the stupid man cannot know. And I want to pause there for a moment. Uh, the idea of a stupid man, in some of the other translations it uses different words. The NASB uses the word senseless. The idea of stupid is not that he is incapable of knowledge. It's the idea that he chooses to suppress the knowledge. It's that he knows, but he doesn't uh, follow through with that knowledge. Okay, And so it's, it's one who uh, has the capability, but uh, does not do it. And so understand that. He says this stupid man, this senseless man, cannot know. The foolish man cannot understand this. Now look at your Bible there, and you'll notice this is a little... Uh, a little grammar. It says the word this, and then after that is a colon. Okay, There's a couple different ideas of what this is, and I think both of them are applicable in here. Uh, first of all, it could be that, that that senseless man, that stupid man, doesn't understand that the wicked, as it says in verse 7, the wicked thrive for just a little bit, and then ultimately they will be destroyed. But it could also mean, and I think this is a good application as well, that this wicked man doesn't understand this. What is it he doesn't understand? Back to verse 5, he doesn't understand the works of God, the greatness of God. He doesn't grasp how much God has done for him. And and he doesn't fathom the working of God in his life. That that phrase, that word, stupid man, is is a... uh, it's an interesting word that actually um, comes from a word that's used for animals. Uh, animals differ from us. Um, man has the ability to reason. Man has the ability to revere God, to worship God. 
So what he's saying in this passage, what he's, what he's describing is one who doesn't understand that, that wicked men will one day be judged. Or one who doesn't understand that God is good and that God is great and that God has done great things. One who doesn't comprehend that is, in, in a sense, a brutish or, or beastly person. A man who does not praise God for his works is really no better than a cow out in the field. Now he's not calling him an animal. He's saying that is how he's living. Um, And it's important for us to understand that's how seriously God takes our worship. uh, As we look at verse 7, what we see then is uh, a, a contrast. A contrast between the apparent prosperity, says in that verse, though the wicked sprout like grass. There's this, there's this sense of this prosperity, uh, sudden prosperity. But then uh, the, the growth of, of the, the wicked then tells us, well, then what? What does it say at the end of verse 7? He says, and evildoers flourish, but they're doomed. There's a contrast between this apparent prosperity and the certainty of their demise. And the sudden prosperity happens. It's... And it uses the idea there of a uh, of a a little sprout. It's that idea of that in the spring, those little weeds that pop up and they die quickly. Uh, they don't survive. It's they're rapidly growing and they're gone just as quickly as they grow. Viewed from the short-term perspective, the the, the wicked seem to have it all. But viewed from eternity, they're in trouble. What the psalmist here is telling us out of this psalm of the Sabbath, he's saying this, is that God is to be exalted because God in the end, you can put it this way, God will win, but even beyond that, God, God will be glorified. And part of that glorification will happen as he judges the sin of the wicked. Then I want you to notice the second reason to exalt God is God is exalted in the flourishing of the righteous. I want you to skip down to verse uh, 12. In contrast to the wicked that we just looked at, look what it says in verse 12. The righteous flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the court of our God. The righteous are, are, are not this fleeting grass. They're not this, this little sprout that comes up and just dies a little bit later. No, they're, they're long-lasting trees. These, these two trees mentioned, a, a palm tree and a cedar tree, are two of the longest-lasting trees there are. And, and it's interesting that he talks about both of them. I think it's, it's the beauty of the palm tree and, and the, the strength of the cedar. And he's, he's talking about this righteous and, and that they're going to they're gonna last and they're going to survive and they're going to continue to grow and they're going to flourish. But notice, if you will, at verse 13, where does that growth come from? It's not from themselves. Look what it says in verse 13. They are planted in the house of God. They are productive and they grow. And even to the old age, in verse 14, it says they still bear fruit in their old age. They're still full of sap and green. And even as they grow, they're still productive. And the imagery there is of God's people. That as we spend time with God in the house of God, remember this is the Sabbath day song. As we spend time in, in, in God's word, we flourish, not because of our cleverness, not because of our work, 
we flourish because of God. Because of being in the house of God, because of God working in our lives, it's the gardener who does the work. And the gardener is God. He nourishes us. He, he protects us. And he uh, is to be exalted because of the blessing he gives his people. And so we see that God is exalted because of, of the destruction to the wicked. He's exalted because of the flourishing of the righteous. And then finally, God is exalted in the revelation of his own character. Woven throughout this psalm is a constant thread of, of, of who God is. So I'm going to look at a few of these verses. Look at verse 2 again. This psalm exalts God because He's worthy. And as the psalmist unloads this, he's telling us that, that more and more about God, of why we should worship Him. And he says in verse 2, because of His steadfast love because of his consistent patient love that's hard to do sometimes isn't it it's not that god loves us because we're we're so lovable okay you know we um you know many of you love babies why do you love babies okay they're just so cute we were standing over here before the service, and uh, Pastor Will was standing with me, and Leah was over there with Kaya, their baby, and and I look over, and Kaya's got the little ponytail that sticks straight up because she doesn't have enough hair to, for it to flop, and it's just sticking straight up, and I'm like, that is just so adorable. I love that. I'm little little girls, and it just sticks straight up, okay? And we just look, and we go, that's so cute. And and that, you know, we look at little kids, and they're they're easy to love, but, you know, it. As they as they grow and suddenly you know, they start copping an attitude. Oh. You know what? In in our relationship with God, we've copped an attitude with Him many times, and yet He steadfastly loves us, day after day after day. We reject Him. We act all arrogant like it's all about us. We turn our back on Him. At times we even put Him down. And yet He loves us. And this is who God is. He goes on and He talks about His his faithfulness, His never-ending endurance. His never-ending stopping in what He does day after day after day. He provides day after day after day. He gives us blessing day after day. He just faithfully gives us what is best for us. The psalmist said that as we reveal this aspect of God's character, it should be what we sing, what we what we uh, proclaim. I want you to look down at verse eight. Verse eight is a a, a, a a really an awesome verse. It says, "But you, O Lord, are." on high forever. Now this is um, interesting because this, this, I believe that this little verse, this tiny little verse, is the central um, to this whole message. And it's the central to this whole psalm. In fact, it's even positioned in the center. Um, I, I was reading a commentary that said that if you were to look at the Hebrew of this, of this um, psalm, there are the same number of words 
prior to verse 8 as there are after verse 8. It's as if the psalmist said, this is the exact center of everything I'm trying to tell you. So listen carefully. And he says in that passage, what is he declaring to us? He's declaring that God is on high, that he is above everything else. Now, he started with that. Back in verse 2, he said, almost high. He ends with that back down in verse 15 by saying God is upright. He is higher and above. And, and it's interesting because it's a contrast to this wicked that he talks about, this senseless man, this stupid man who tries to elevate himself in, in his own eyes. Remember, he used the idea of a little sprout. It pops up in the spring and it rises to a loftier position than even the grass. And it gets up there and it's like, yeah, look what I've accomplished. I'm, I'm something else. Does everyone notice me? And then, and then the sun comes and it, and it beats down on it and this puny, perilous little thing dies. Plunges into destruction. But in contrast to the wicked, God is truly lifted up. He's on a high. He's above everything. He's above everyone. Because wicked men do not understand or, or know they, they, they often side, because they don't know God, they compare themselves to other men. They compare themselves to these other sprouts and they think something highly of themselves. And they fail to fear God. They fail to, to, to build inside of them a dread for their ultimate destiny apart from Him. I love how verse uh, 8 describes this, this God on high. And for, for those of you who are righteous... This is a, a phrase of encouragement. Okay? That though, though life sometimes is hard, I know that I worship a God who is above everything else. But for the senseless man, the stupid man, as is said here, it's, it's an occasion to, to see destruction. Because God is exalted, He will bring about the the downfall and the destruction of His enemies. We see in verse 9, He talked about this. Look at verse 9. For behold, your enemy, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. All evildoers shall be destroyed. But God is exalted, and He he is one to be lifted up. And and because of that, He will exalt those who trust in Him. Uh, He... He goes on and talks about that in verse 10. And specifically, the psalmist mentioned this, but, but you, God, have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. That's, that's a rejuvenation from God. He said, God, you have done all this for me. And he comes down to verse 15. And the psalmist ends by saying this then. What do we declare? What are we to make known? In all of this, when we talk about who God is, we are to declare what? That God is upright. That He is my rock. And there is no unrighteousness in him. Well, the righteous are able to see the hand of God. The wicked have no comprehension of that. And verse 15 tells us why all this is. is because God wants us then to do what? The culmination of all this is that God wants you to exalt him. God wants you to exalt his uprightness, his holiness. God wants you to then come to him as your rock and realize there is no wickedness in him. This is a very important point for us to focus on because we're supposed to focus on God and not ourselves. And that is what Thanksgiving is all about. God does not... Here's the interesting thing. God does not promise to bless you for your own benefit. You hear that? He blesses you so that you will have the motivation and the means to praise Him. 
blessing then is not so much uh, an end as a means to an end. It's, it's the ultimate purpose is to promote God. This message here in, it can be summed up in two categories. First of all, the goodness of praise. He says at the very beginning, it's good. It's good to praise God. Then secondly, the grounds for praise, and that is all God's wonderful works. I want you to think about not just the normal things. I used to, I used to teach. And um, when I would teach elementary students especially, I taught PE for a number of years. When I'd teach elementary students in PE, at Thanksgiving time, I'd always ask kids, you know, what is it you can be thankful for? And we, you always get the same answer. Um, for food, for my mom, for my dad, you know, I guess my brother, you know, things like that. Well, as you're thinking about what to be thankful for, dwell on the works of God. If nothing else, dwell on the fact that it gives you breath. It's estimated that today, in the 24-hour time period that is Sunday, you will breathe 23,000 breaths. Do you thank God for any of them? Because if it wasn't for God, your life would be done. And here we see the psalmist is saying it's a good thing for us to praise. And what are we to praise God for? We're to praise Him for His works. What works have God has God done in your life? Praise Him for it. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for all that You have done. Lord, You have given us breath. For those in here who have called upon Your name, You have given us salvation. You have given us hope. And you have given us forgiveness. Lord, there's so many things you've given us, and I pray that you help us to praise you for them. Lord, we ask that you uh, be glorified through all that we do. Lord, we ask that this week, Lord, it's just a great time for us to spend with family and friends. Lord, in that, I pray that you help us, most importantly, to, to remember you and what you have done. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.